Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. If you've got a Bible, if you brought a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 5. Man. This didn't start real well. Would you open your Bible to John chapter 15? Which is actually Greek for 15. You wouldn't know that because you don't teach from the pulpit. As a church, we're in the middle of a series of sermons on tension. And within Christianity, we have positions, um, lots of positions. One of those positions is that we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God um, who came and died and was resurrected and... um, But we also have tensions in the Christian life. That is, there are things that we hold that create a tension. It's not necessarily a position. But we are called as Christians to hold two things in tension. Uh, A great example of this is uh, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We believe in divine sovereignty, that God is in control, and we also believe in human responsibility, that we should respond to that accordingly. And those two things are in tension with one another, and you might ask, well, which one is it? Is it God in control, or do we have a role to play? And the answer is yes, both and. And there are certain things within Christianity that we hold as a tension, and in fact, our position as a church is to stay in the tension and not swing to one extreme or the other, that there is harmony that can be found in a divine tension. So we've been talking about divine tensions. And the first week, we talked about grace and truth, that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth, and that we at times can have grace at the expense of truth. That is, that we can let go of the truth in order to reach for two hands for grace. And we can also let go of grace in order to reach with two hands for the truth. That as human beings, we often have things at the expense of each other. But we, as a body, want to live in that tension. We want to be both full of grace and full of truth. That's our position to stay in the tension. We also talked about a a church body. We want to be cohesive and inclusive. We don't want to go deep with one another at the expense of going wide and reaching out. And we don't want to go wide and reach out at the expense of going deep. We want both and. 
we want to be cohesive as a body and we want to be inclusive, reaching out to those around us. So that's a tension that we hold here. And sometimes it can get uncomfortable. As Daniel pointed out to me a couple weeks ago, Daniel Rice, the only way we can live in a tension is to stay flexible. And tensions stretch us. And there are positions within the Christian faith, faith and there are also tensions that we live in. We talked uh, last week about the super and the natural that we believe in the supernatural, but we want God to do the super and you to do the natural part of that equation. And there's a tension in this body um, because we believe in the supernatural. We still believe that God does miraculous things today. So these are some of the tensions or just an overview of where we've been. Um, Our position as a church is to stay and remain in some tensions, even when they feel uncomfortable. We don't want to swing to one extreme or the other. We want to hold both things to be true and contend that inside God, these are not a paradox. Does that make sense? Everyone up to speed? We all on the same page? So we can move forward. Today I want to talk about the tension that exists between intimacy and involvement. And I think this is a tension that all of us experience. In fact, this morning, and I'll explain more about what I mean um, about intimacy and involvement, but even just now I had to go pick up my wife. And we have one car, and that car was on empty. The light was on. I, I needed to stop for gas, but I did not have time to stop for gas. I was going to be late to church, and I was going to be late to my own church, which is definitely, you know, not okay. And so I was torn. There was a tension. Should I stop? I need to refuel. I know that I need to refuel. I know that I'm going to run out of gas real quick here if I don't. But I also had things that I needed to do and I needed to pick up my wife and I needed to get back here and there was a tension. Do I stop to refuel or do I keep going because I have commitments? And when I talk about intimacy, I'm talking about being connected. That each of us as Christians are called to be connected to Jesus Christ. But we're also called to be committed as Christians. And sometimes for me, I don't know about you, but it feels like I'm so committed that there's no time to be connected. I can't stop and refuel. I've got commitments. And stopping to connect and refuel is not going to get me any closer to accomplishing or, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Whatever. There's a tension between intimacy and involvement. At times, I don't know about you guys, but I I feel a tension between being with God and doing things for God. Sometimes I can be so busy doing things for God that I do God's work without God. And I'm constantly hearing the Holy Spirit ask me to stop, to refuel. You need to stop this car. You will run out of gas. But I got, I got, I got, I got to go. I've got things that I need to do. I've got places that I need to be. Sometimes I, I feel like my activity for God or just my activity in life um, 
is so much more than my being with God. I don't know, do you guys feel this tension? I felt this tension this week. My family was sick all week, so I had a short week here at the church, and I thought, how could I stand up in front of the church and talk about intimacy with God and not experience that this week? So I knew that what I really needed to do in preparation was to stop and to connect with him, but I just had so much to do. It was such a short week. I had just days to do what typically takes me five. And so there was a a tension. Do I stop? Do I stop and connect with God in an intimate way? Do I stop and reestablish my vital connection with Jesus Christ? Or do I continue to see these commitments through? Of course, this uh, tension is forever represented by the story of Mary and Martha. And if you've been in church for any time, you've probably heard this story. But Jesus and his disciples were uh, on their way. Sorry, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. This is in Luke, so if you're looking down at your Bible, you're not going to be in the right spot. This is Luke 10, but don't necessarily turn there. I'm just touching on this. I don't want to say things like, this, this is forever represented by Mary and Martha, and then not explain to you who Mary and Martha were. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we have this picture, Mary, um, who's connecting with Jesus. And then we've got Martha who's committed to see things turn out a certain way. And there is this tension in all of us. There's a bit of Mary and a bit of Martha in all of us. And there's a bit of Mary and Martha in this church. So I want to talk about this tension that exists in life between intimacy and involvement. If we're going to go forward as a church, if we're going to walk forward... If we're going to advance the kingdom of God, it'll have to be on the legs of intimacy and involvement. The enemy, our adversary, does not want the church to rise up and walk, does not want the church to advance, and so he'll do anything to cripple our intimacy with the Lord and our involvement in society, or both. He understands that as the church goes forward, it does so on the legs of intimacy and involvement. We need both of those things. There are times, if, you, if you've read uh, the Gospels, which are the stories recorded, um, which is really the life of Jesus, there are times when Jesus says, come. And there are times when Jesus says, go. There are times when Jesus says, come, follow me, come to my side. And there are times when Jesus says, go and preach. 
And as a church, we long to be obedient to Jesus when he says, come, connect, establish this vital relationship with me. And we also want to be obedient and responsive when he says, go. He says both come and go. He wants both intimacy and involvement. Many of you have an easier time responding to Jesus when he says, come. And the Holy Spirit has to constantly urge you to go. You don't like to risk. You like to play it safe. And so you have an easy time responding to Jesus or being obedient to Jesus when he says, come. Connect, but you have a difficult time when he says go. And then on the other side of that, there are those in the church that have an easy time hearing Jesus say go, who have an easy time getting involved, but often have the Holy Spirit telling them that you need to stop, you need to connect. Where are you at? What do you have an easier time hearing from Jesus? Come or go? If you fall off the horse, what side of the horse do you fall off on? Intimacy or involvement? Sometimes we have intimacy at the expense of our involvement. Sometimes we have involvement at the expense of our intimacy. And I'm not necessarily even talking just about God right now. I'm talking about also our relationships with each other. What side of the horse do you fall off on? You know, we have kids, um, and, and I can watch this downstairs, but we have kids that are clingers. You show up in a new environment, and you have to tell them, go, 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 you'll be fine. Come on, get off my leg, go. Go, you're fine, go, go, go. And then we've got runners. <laughs> Come here. Come here now. Come here now. Now. One. Two. Come. Come. You know. In the same way as the children of God, we've got clingers. And we've got runners. And depending on the way you've been designed, the Holy Spirit's probably constantly prompting you, go, you can go, risk, go, go. Or, come, come back here, get back here. (laughs) If we have intimacy without involvement, as a church, if we have a, a connection with Jesus, without involving ourselves. We're going to hop around on one leg in a spiritual ghetto. And we're going to have to create programs here as a church just to get you to make meaningful contact with those that are non-Christians. We're not going to get very far on the one leg of, of intimacy We're also not going to get very far on the one leg of involvement. If you've got involvement without without intimacy, you're just ineffective 
You can't bear fruit apart from him. What are you going to do? You also become really vulnerable without that covering and vital connection. When you have involvement without intimacy, prayer just becomes a rubber stamp for your plan. This is what I'm going to do, God. You rubber stamp it. As opposed to a rudder that steers our thoughts and actions, which is what prayer is. Prayer is no rubber stamp over your meal. Prayer does not ensure that you won't get sick off that food. It's more than that. It's a rudder that steers our thoughts and our actions. If we've got involvement without intimacy, we just start stressing out like Martha. And so as a church, we want both. It's not an either-or conversation for us. It's a both-and. We want intimacy with God, close connection with Him and others. And we want involvement. We want connection and we want to be committed. We want both of those things. Not an either-or, but a both-and. Both of these things are pretty, you know, and you're probably figuring it out at this point that well, Travis, you're pitting these two things against each other and they're not that against each other and you already figured me out. Good for you. Both these things are very essential and I would actually say that they're inseparable. Intimacy and involvement. These things are essential and they're inseparable. It's a little bit like breathing in and breathing out. If you were to just breathe in, you would pass out. If you were to just breathe out, you would pass out. You need a rhythm where you breathe in and you breathe out. That would be an awesome game for the youth this Wednesday night. (laughs) Who passes out quicker? The guy who just breathes in or just breathes out? That's a plug. If you're here and you're a youth, come on Wednesday night. People are going to pass out. Jesus is, of course, for us, um, our model for life and ministry and our model for this rhythm of breathing in intimacy and breathing out our involvement, of staying connected and also committed. He's our model for life and and ministry. And uh, I can tell you that I was... um, challenged by what I read this week. And I'm not sure I'd ever read the Gospels with this lens on. Before he chose the 12 disciples, what did Jesus do? Have a board meeting, talk about it, interview these guys. He spent an entire night alone. Before he chose the 12 disciples, he spent a night alone. When he received news of the death of John the Baptist, Scripture says he withdrew in a boat to a lonely place. After he miraculously fed 5,000 people, he did what? Sign autographs? Plant a church in that town? He made his disciples leave. You need to get going. And then he dismissed the crowd and he went up to the hills by himself. 
Following a long night of work, he woke up early and went out to a lonely place. Following the healing of a leper, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. With three disciples, he sought out the silence of a lonely mountain as the stage for the transfiguration you can read about in Luke 11. As he prepared for the cross, he sought the solitude of the garden. And probably the one that, that um, was the most eye-opening to me as in regards to this rhythm inside of Jesus' life was that his ministry began with 40 days alone in a desert. His ministry was inaugurated with a time of solitude where Jesus seems to embrace his limits. Now, Jared, Jared's probably the most recent person we've hired at the church And we had an amazing list of things waiting for Jared. And when we hired Jared, you better believe that I didn't say to him, now what I want you to do first is go ahead and take 40 days and just kind of sort through all this, you know, and tell me what the Lord's saying to you. Absolutely not. You should have seen the list that we had for Jared. You're going to do this. You're going to update this. You're going to take every call that I can't take. How many of you have actually, you, you, you've applied for a job by having to ask first, you're like, but I need this first week off. <laughs> it doesn't go over too well. I, I'd love to work here. I'll tell you what, my family and I, we're going to go for two weeks. Those first two weeks, we're going to be gone. It just doesn't go over real well. I don't know if you've read, you can read it uh, for yourself in Luke chapter 4, but I, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's as if what God wanted to teach Jesus right out of the gates was to embrace his limits. He starts his ministry with 40 days alone. And when he does talk, he just says no. Because the devil comes to tempt him to operate outside of his limits. If you're the son of God, then why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And Jesus starts his ministry by saying no, walking away from those rocks that were still rocks. I had never like I said, read these scriptures with the lens on that I had on this week. And it was, um, there was a lot of revelation that came from it. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever read the Gospels and noticed Jesus' limitations? I typically read them and think, wow, that's amazing. He healed a leper. All you see is that, um, that he was some sort of superhero. But have you ever noticed his limitations? He didn't heal everyone. He didn't cast out every demon. He, listen to this, he did not stay in cities where they begged him to stay. 
please stay, please stay, please stay. Got to go. He refused to let certain people follow him. Have you read that story? Healed the guy. The guy's like, I'm coming with you. No, you're not. You're going home. (laughs) Jesus preached a really harsh uh, sermon and told the crowd, it was a huge crowd, told them that unless he... Ate his, unless they ate his flesh and drank his blood, they'd have no part in him. And, of course, the crowd scattered. They ran away. And Jesus didn't run after them. And his disciples are like, man, you blew it. Why do you have to talk? Why do you do this? You know? His PR firm that he had gathered. Oh, listen, hey, if you could figure out a better way to say this, <laughs> we'd be doing a lot better here. It doesn't run after him. It just lets it. just lets it live. Yet at the end of his life, he prays this. I have completed the work that you gave me to do. I did it. He went to the cross confident. You know that... uh, we won't be held accountable for how much we have done. We will not be held accountable before God for how much we have done. We'll be held accountable for how much we have done of what he has asked us to do. I don't know about you guys, but I have a really difficult time discerning between concern and my responsibility. Somehow everything that concerns me becomes my responsibility. Do you have that same struggle where everything that concerns you becomes your responsibility? You've got to fix it. Do you practice solitude? And you're because when we when we think about Jesus, when we think about discipleship, being an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, when we think about discipleship, we think about living like Jesus, and we think about loving like Jesus. But an essential part of discipleship is leaving like Jesus. You've got to leave things behind in order to be His disciple. You've got to walk away from different things. And your attempt to be like Jesus or to be His disciple. Do you practice solitude? Do you set aside a Sabbath to rest? Or do you just think about living and loving and you don't necessarily think about leaving the things that we're called to leave behind? I'm, uh, I'm preaching to myself this week, and, uh, which is a scary thing. It either means that it'll be a good sermon or a long sermon because I'll just get up here and verbally process what I think God was saying to me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself. And um, I love Jesus because of how he engages. I just love how he gets up in the mix. His, your problems become his problems. He engages so well with people, um, culture. 
And I was struck this week by noticing not just how he engages, but how he withdraws. That he would exodus into the presence of God, not just engage with people. And the Holy Spirit uh, rarely needs to remind me to engage. And is constantly hounding me to withdraw, to trust God. It can take just as much faith to say no as it does to say yes. And for me, it takes more to say no than it does to say yes. Mike uh, Fishback and I, we were working on this kid's um, area. And one of the things that we had to tear down was a brick column. And so Mike, who owns some heavy machinery, pulled, you know, something. I don't know what it was wasn't a bobcat, it was bigger than a bobcat. And he's going to take down this brick pillar. And so we're all ready to, to go, man, this thing's coming down. And then he, he bumped it, and it seemed kind of uh, shaky. And then we thought, man, maybe we don't need the bobcat at all. Maybe we could actually just push this thing over. So we started pushing this brick column, and sure enough, we were able to push it over. Because this is what happened. It was not a brick column. It was a fence post. It was about 18 inches down, a four by four. And what somebody thought was, I know what would be cool. Let's make that fence post a brick pillar. And rather than go deeper with the post like they should have in order to support the addition of the bricks... They just started adding bricks that didn't have the foundation to support them. So it was now dangerous. We were able to push it over. And when we did, this whole massive thing fell that probably weighed, I don't know, for the sake of exaggeration, 300 pounds. Or, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Where's Mike? 400 pounds. Nice. <laughs> Maybe it was 500 pounds. <laughs> So we push it over, and I'm staring at what was underground, going, no way was that holding that up. And then I felt really quickly as I looked at it, like, that feels like my life. I just keep adding things to my life because, well, that would be cool. That would look cool. <laughs> Without ever going any deeper with the Lord or even asking, does the foundation that I have right now support what I'm adding to it? I would say, if I was guessing, many of you fall off the horse on the side of involvement. And there's probably maybe a few that fall off on the side of intimacy. Is that your life? Just, well, that'll look cool. I'll do that. Without ever checking to see if you've got what it takes to support what you're building. I think if I were really honest, I would say to you that committing is much easier than connecting. I think that I tend towards commitment and away from connection because commitment is a little bit easier than connecting. There's something very dynamic and mysterious about connection. And so I think it's easier at times to just be committed than it is to be connected. Some of your marriages are, are, are that right now. 
It's like we're really committed to each other. We're super commi- committed. As far as being connected, I, I, I don't know. I'm st- still trying to figure that out. We're committed to one another, but as far as like being one with one another, eh, it's difficult. Committing can sometimes be easier than connecting. So we get an incredible picture. We get an incredible picture of intimacy and involvement in John 15. That these things go together. Our connection with God bears fruit. Our intimacy with him leads us to involvement. Our solitude brings us to the place where we can connect. Let's read it together. Actually, before we read it together, I'd like to share a little bit of context. Before we read this passage in John 15, which might be something that you've read before, remember that this is his final discourse. This is it. This is the last board meeting. This is the last huddle. He's about to leave, and he's about to turn over an entire movement to uneducated fishermen. This is it. This is the end. This is the final board meeting. I think that what he could have talked about with his disciples is overseeing a worldwide phenomenon. He could have said, Thomas, look, man, you're about to head to India. It's a crazy place. But look, the gospel's going to bear fruit in India. There could have been a lot of things on the agenda, but I would encourage you to read John 15 through 17 because it's like a drum that he just keeps beating. Stay connected. Stay connected. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you a relationship with the Trinity. Stay connected. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay committed to me. He just keeps hammering this drum, saying, I don't want fruitfulness, I want faithfulness. And if you're faithful to me, you'll be fruitful. Over and over again. There should have been different things on this. If I was leaving this church and we had one last board meeting together, it would not look like this. We'd be hashing things out. Well, where's this going to go and what's going to go on with this? And it very, his final discourse could have very easily looked like that. And instead, he just keeps talking to them. Abide in my love. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to one another. Stay connected to me. Read it. I swear, it's a drum. It starts in John 15, and it doesn't end till the end of John 17. Over and over again. They're asking all kinds of questions, like, what are you talking about? And he just keeps saying, love one another. Stay connected to one another. Why are you saying this? Stay connected to one another. Love one another. Why is this so dark and mysterious? What are you talking about in riddles? Stay committed to one another. Stay connected. So here we go. Uh, John uh, 15. I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. There's a lot going on here. But what Jesus has in mind here as, he, as he's talking is growth and fruitfulness. Isn't that really what we desire? Isn't that why we get involved? We want to see an impact. We want fruit to come from our lives. Isn't that why we get committed? We want to see growth. We just want movement. I just don't want to be in the same spot that I was in last year. I want to see growth. I want to see fruit come from my life. Jesus is talking about growth. He's talking about fruitfulness. And I don't know all that it means to abide in Christ or to remain in him. I thought about those words a lot this week. I don't know all that it means to abide in his love. I don't know about you guys, but I get sometimes really frustrated when people say things to, like, you know, you're bringing up a situation and they say to you, well, you just got to abide in his love. Just got to abide in his love. And you're like, what are you talking about right now? I need something I can sink my teeth into. Oh, you just got to trust him for your satisfaction. What is that? You know? This is mysterious. There's something dynamic about this. And what Jesus is saying is if you want growth and if you want change and if you want fruitfulness in your life, you have to remain in him. You stay connected to him. If you're connected to him, you will bear fruit. It'll be a a natural byproduct of your connection with him. You need what what Paul's saying, or sorry, what Jesus is saying here is this. If you want change, you want fruitfulness, you want growth in your life, what you need is a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And it'll come. But there's a few things that we're going to need that Jesus talks about here. I don't know all that it means to remain in him or abide in him. But there's a few things that we're going to need in order to have a vital connection with him. These are all connected to one another. And I'll move quickly through these. Stay with me. Stay with me. 
Because what Jesus is saying is if you're going to live in a vital connection with me, you're going to need the knife, you're going to need joy, you're going to need a friendship, and you're going to need love. If you're going to remain in me, if you're going to continue in me, if you're going to be connected to me, you're going to need the knife of God, you're going to need the joy of the Lord, you're going to need a friendship with Jesus, and you're going to need his love. These are the things that we're going to need if we're going to abide, stay, remain in him. So the first one is the one I'll talk about the most because it's probably the one that you're the most interested in, which is the knife. If you're going to remain in him, you're going to need the knife. The knife is coming to every branch. Pain and pruning will come to every branch here. Pain and pruning will come to every person here. Here's the good news. What Jesus says is if you remain in me, you'll be cut back into fruitfulness. But if you don't have me, you'll be cut off. So here's the promise is that if we can remain in him, when the knife comes to our lives, you'll be cut back into fruitfulness and not cut off. How many of you know, like, I'm in, a, I'm in a serious season of pruning? Like, things are being cut off. And this is what, you know, you, there's a lot of, I got to be careful what I say in here, because there's a lot of people who know a lot about trees and dirt. And but often when I come up on something that's been pruned, I think to myself, what in the world? This just seems so extreme. What kind of sicko attacked a tree? You know? Like you didn't, just, you didn't just thin it. You didn't just cut off the bad branches or the diseased parts. You cut off good branches. You cut off good branches. You cut off better branches because you want best branches. And it just seems kind of extreme to me. I mean, it's almost like, why did you do that? What is wrong with you? It's not just that like dead limbs are on the ground. It's that life-giving things are on the ground. Because what that gardener is contending for is best. Not good, not better. And the things that are in the way of that, he hacks off. And it's a painful process. And that's where some of you are at today. It's not just that bad things are being cut off of your life or dead branches. It's actually good things, green things, better things, because God wants best things. And here's the promise for you in Jesus Christ. If you remain in him during this painful pruning process, he'll cut you back and not cut you off, and you will bear more fruit. And the fruit won't just, it won't just be more, it will be better. Because when something is pruned, it's forced to draw on the vine in a fresh way. And when something is cut off in your life, you're forced to draw on the vine that is Jesus Christ in a fresh way. Some of you have lost a marriage. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost friends. Some of you have just been laid completely bare and you're wondering, what have I been cut off? Is there something that I did wrong? No, listen, if you're going to remain in him, you have to have the knife. You have to be cut back. He disciplines everyone that he loves. 
And the temptation is it, it can look like a fork in the road. And it really, it really can be. Without Jesus, when the knife comes, you can be cut off. But with Christ, when the knife comes to your life, you can just be cut back into more fruitfulness. If that's you, you're here and you know, man, things are just being laid bare. There's, there's good stuff on the ground, not just bad stuff. God's not just grooming or cutting away the disease. There's also really good things that are hitting the ground. And I find myself questioning God going, are you sure this seems really extreme? Would you stand? There's a pruning going on in your life. You know it. Would you just lay hands on someone sitting around you? We're just going to contend. We're going to uh, speak the truth over the people here. Jesus, we thank you today that you were cut off so that we would only be cut back. We thank you, Jesus, today that you were cut off so that we could be grafted in. Isaiah says that you were cut off from the land of the living so that we would only be cut back into fruitfulness. And I pray that this pruning would bring fruit. We ask God that the knife would come and cut them back into fruitfulness, not cut them off into distance. And where they feel distance, God, we ask that you would bring them close, that you would comfort them that they would be able to trust you in a fresh way. The word of the Lord to you, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. Amen. You might also have a scripture on your heart that would encourage those that are going through a pruning process. I would encourage you to give it to them. Jesus Christ was cut off so that we could be cut in in a covenant with God. He was cut off from the land of the living so that we could be cut in. He was cut off so that we could be grafted into him. He was cut off so that we would only be cut back. Receive the, the truth this morning. The other thing that you're going to need is the joy of the Lord. If you're going to continue in a vital relationship with him, you'll need the knife, but you'll also need the joy. If you're going to grow or be fruitful in anything, you need to enjoy it. If you were to uh, show me someone who is growing in any area of life, I'll show you someone who's probably enjoying what they're doing. Your growing and your joying are connected to one another. 
Do you do what you do out of a sense of obligation or duty, or do you do it because you delight to do it? A sense of duty or a sense of this is what I should be doing is a fantastic way to start a car, but it will not be the fuel that a car can run on. It will not sustain you. A sense of duty or obligation can start you, but it can't sustain you. You'll need the joy. It says in Scripture that it was because of the joy set before Jesus Christ that he endured the cross. So we're not just talking about God leading us into easy things, but there was a joy set before him that sustained him, that kept him going, even in really difficult times. You'll need a sense of duty. You're committed. But you're also going to need a sense of delight in order to continue in a vital connection with Jesus Christ. Is your walk with him, your time with him, your devotions with him duty, or is it delight? You won't remain in him without the knife, and you won't remain in him without joy. You have to have the joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The other thing you're going to need is a friendship with Jesus. I love the part of this passage where he says to them, Look, I'm no longer dealing with you like your servants. You're my friends. If you're going to have a vital connection with Jesus Christ that's going to bear fruit, if you're going to have intimacy with him, you need a friendship with Jesus Christ. Here again is the reminder that the mission is first and foremost to be with Jesus, not just to do things for Jesus. We're called to be with Jesus, not just do things for Jesus. It always starts with a friendship. Any sort of um, transformation in, in life starts with a vital connection. I've told this story before, and a lot of you know uh, my cousin Roland. But I grew up with my cousin Roland skating and snowboarding. We... Hmm... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We lived in the country, but we loved to skate, to rollerblade. Um, we loved punk rock. We thought we were punk. Um, and then something started to happen our sophomore year, which was that my cousin Roland got new friends. And all of a sudden, he wasn't going riding with us on weekends or going to a skate park. He was going to uh, a branding in his board shorts in some skate shoes, but he was going to a branding. And slowly but surely, I started to see less and less of my cousin Roland. And then it, and then it turned, it, it, something, something strange happened. My cousin Roland started showing up like with a belt buckle. And we were just looking at him like, what is, what, where'd you get that? You know, where, what is wrong with you? Why are you wearing that? You take that off right now. <laughs> What is that in your mouth? Don't spit. Oh my gosh. What is wrong with you? We're skaters and snowboarders, not hicks, man. Spit that out of your mouth. But everything followed for my cousin. He got like a, a sheep herding dog. He got like an ice chest that rode in the back of his truck with, with keystone in it. All of it. All of it came. It took about a year, and it was all there, you know? 
and now we're going up snowboarding, and he, he goes up in his boots, you know, and it's like, what happened to you, you know? Where did we lose you along the way? And, and the truth was is he formed strong relationships, friendships with people who liked those things, and all of a sudden, he started to like what they liked. And I think we get it wrong in Christianity. We think, oh, we've got to have the belt buckle, we've got to have the boots, we've got to have the dog and the ice chest before we start to hang out with Jesus. No, start to connect with him as a friend, and you'll start to care about the things that he cares about. You'll start to like the things that he likes. Connect with him, and there'll be a transformation that comes through your connection with him. Sorry, Rollin, we'll edit that out. Hey, just a real quick practical thing on the, in, 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 in a... To help you with your friendship, one of the things that helps me in my friendship with Jesus, and it sounds um, cheesy, but sometimes I'll just sit down and I'll start writing. I'll write about what I'm uh, mad about. I'll write about what I'm glad about. I'll write about what I'm afraid of. And I'll um, write about what I'm sad about. And then I'll just start processing it with God. And it never fails. I'll think to myself, well, I'm not that scared of anything right now. And then I tap into something, this river of fear that's totally motivating me. And I get to bring those before him like a friend and just say, man, this freaks me out. I'm really scared about this. You know what I'm excited about? I'm really excited about this. You know what I'm totally ticked about? You know what? Just, I'm just so upset. This is what's going on for me. And I know it probably sounds a little bit like Dr. Phil for some of you, but there's something really cool about connecting with him like that, like a friend. Last but not least, you're going to need the, the love of God. You'll need his love It's just over and over again. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay. Continue in my love. Don't depart from my love. I love the, the scripture inside this passage that says, you did not choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit. He initiates love. Isn't it a weird place to come to when you realize, I can't even love God without God? I need God's love in order to love God. Is his love a conclusion for you based on what you're told? Or are you experiencing the love of God? Is the love of God for you inferred because Travis says so? Or is it experienced? Is the love of God something you just gather from the facts? Or are you experiencing the love of God? You won't remain in a vital relationship, in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ without experiencing the love of God? Is it just something that you've heard about? Is it inferred? Is it just implied? Because the Bible tells me so. Or have you encountered him? Our privileged relationship and connection with him as a branch connected to the vine also has some responsibilities with it. You can read those. They're there. 
our privilege in relationship with him has some responsibilities with it. Just like your privileged connection or relationship with anybody has responsibilities connected to it. But I want to ask one last question, and we're going to end by taking communion this morning. Thanks for hanging, hanging with me, guys. Paul's, Paul's speaking to a, a church in Corinth, and he actually says to this, he says this to them, he's talking about singleness and, and marriage and what people should do and what they shouldn't do. He's kind of talking about their responsibilities. But then he ends um, in, in, in chapter 7, verse 35. He says this, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And the thing that stuck out to me as I read this was that our devotion to the Lord needs to be secured. Paul's saying to this church, you need to secure your devotion to Jesus Christ. When we secure something, what are we doing? We're making sure it doesn't take a walk. If you rode a bike here and you didn't secure it, I bet you, as a betting man, that you won't be riding that bike home. (laughs) We secure things because we don't want them to take off. We secure a boat to a dock because we don't want it to drift. What Paul's saying here is you actually have to secure your devotion to Jesus Christ or else it will get stolen and it will drift. It'll just walk away. I don't know how that happens. I can wake up intent on spending time connecting with him. And really quickly, my commitments, my other commitments, crowd out my connection with him. You must secure your devotion to Jesus Christ. I'll end with a story for my third ending. It's amazing. The third ending is really the ending, and it is going to blow your mind. A few years ago, one of the sequoias fell. It was 240 feet tall, and it had been alive for over four centuries, and it came tumbling down. So they... Um, uh, I guess did an investigation like some sort of CSI report on this very special tree and they couldn't find any damage from insects or from animals. It was just a mystery. Why did this great sequoia fall? Why did this tree that fire and lightning and you know can't seem to bring down why did this behemoth come crashing down. And as they continued in their investigation, they couldn't find any damage. They couldn't find any disease. They couldn't find that it had been struck by lightning or any of the things that typically cause a sequoia to fall. What they found out is that what caused that sequoia to fall was foot traffic. That over the years of people walking right up to the base of that tree, foot traffic had worn away its root system or its root system, depending on if you're talking to me or my dad, (laughs) had worn away the root system, and this tree came down. And so some of you can remember that you used to be able to go up to the sequoias and walk right up to the trunk of the tree. Can people remember that? And now they've got them enclosed. 
They won't let you get closer. I mean, you could step over the little <laughs> chintzy thing that keeps them. Do you have any sacred enclosures around your root system? If you don't, you will fall. I don't care how long you've been standing, you will come down. The foot traffic in your life, the busyness will just erode. And you will fall. I would encourage you to create some sacred enclosures where you protect your root system. Where you protect the thing that nourishes you. Where you protect the thing that feeds you. That you protect the thing that causes you to grow. I'm going to pray and then we're going to open up these tables. We do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. We take a piece of that bread. We dip it uh, in the grape juice. I didn't prepare it this morning. Is that grape juice or wine? We remember the body of Christ broken for us. The body of Christ that was cut off so that we wouldn't have to experience that. And we remember his blood shed for us on the cross. And we do this in remembrance of him so that we can remain in him. Mike and the team are going to lead a song. I'd encourage you, uh, if you need, to, to stay. Create some space for him. I'd also encourage you to go get your kids as quickly as possible. I don't know how those two work. It's a tension. It's a both and. <laughs> if you don't get your kids, I'm going to get yelled at on Monday at the staff meeting. Let's pray. Thanks for hanging in with me. Uh, Jesus, we, we have continued in a lot of things. We have remained in a lot of things. In fact, we've remained in bondage for years, and there's been fruit that's come from our lives because of it. We've continued in fear. We've continued to try to control things. We've continued... And remained in all kinds of things. But we want to ask right now that we could continue and remain in your love. And that it would bear fruit. I pray for those who feel disconnected this morning that they would be connected. God, we want to experience your love. We want to experience a vital connection with you. Help us as a church and teach us, Holy Spirit, as a church about abiding in you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. I